turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And uh, while you're turning, I want to take just a moment and point out one couple that's in the room that today is their last Sunday as single adults. And uh, Adam and Casey, you guys stand up where you are right there. And... Uh, This is Adam Butler and Casey Garrison. And next weekend, they won't be here next weekend, by the way. They won't, they won't be here. Uh, they're getting married on Saturday. And uh, that will be Adam and Casey Butler. Adam and Casey Butler. And so uh, make sure that you congratulate them today uh, if you see them after service. And uh, they're very excited. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And uh, Scott and Donna are already readying the credit card payment uh, as we speak. Uh, but uh, it's, it's exciting for them. And we're honored for you guys and super happy and excited for you. Uh, that next chapter that begins next weekend. So good stuff. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 11. We've been dealing with the purpose of our church. Uh, why do we exist as believers? The age-old question, what am I here for? Why am I alive? What is our primary responsibility in the body of Christ? Uh, we talked several weeks ago about the fact that we are here to exalt the Savior. They're on the banners behind me. Exalt the Savior. Our lives should bring Him glory in everything uh, that we do. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31 says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. But then our lives should uh, are supposed to uh, point people to Jesus. We are to uh, engage the sinner. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. We know that he was talking about his death on the cross. Uh, we know that he was talking specifically about the way that he would die for humanity. But a great principle there, when Jesus is lifted up, uh, we see him, not us. When Jesus is lifted up, people are drawn to him instead of to us. But once we're in the body of Christ, what then? After we have exalted him, after we have come to him as our Lord and Savior, what should our body life look like? What should we be doing as believers in the local New Testament church? The Bible word in our context here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is the word edify. In 2023, we would say encourage. Our job is to encourage one another in the body of Christ. It is your job and mine to encourage one another. That is our responsibility. And can we just say and, and just admit right out of the gate this morning, we all need encouragement. We all need to know that we're in this thing together to be reminded uh, that this is not a race against uh, somebody on the other side of the room. Uh, this is not your journey against a brother or sister in Christ. Uh, this is a solo event, you running the race that is set before you, and the objective is to finish well. And to do that, we all need somebody on the sidelines saying, go, go. Go. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, we see that there is a cloud of witnesses in heaven peering down on us as believers saying, Go. Go. Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep going. And as we see this morning, it's that reason that we are to edify the saints. God has placed you in a local church to encourage someone else. And Paul is writing to this church in Thessalonica 
to the Thessalonians, and they were an encouragement to Paul. But as we see in the text, as he concludes this letter to them, he tells them that what they can be doing to encourage one another, and it applies to us today. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let's begin reading in verse number 11. It says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify, there's the word, edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Among yourselves and to all men. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word and thank you for the challenges that we have for today. Lord, I ask that you please speak to our hearts and please give us what we need individually and collectively as a body of believers. Lord, help us to follow you. Help our lives to exalt the Savior. Help our lives and our testimony to engage the sinner, those who are lost in need of you. And then, Lord, help us to edify the saints. Help us to encourage one another. Lord, help us to be encouraged today, knowing that you are in control of all things. And, Lord, that you love us and you sent your Son to die for us. Lord, I ask that you please speak to hearts. If there's someone here today or watching online that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, please help today to be their day of salvation to where they know that they have a relationship with you because that is your plan for humanity. We love you and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down three thoughts this morning. Number one, the admonition. The admonition. Uh, Paul spends the first half of chapter number 5 dealing specifically with the Lord's return and how it's imminent. Uh, Jesus is returning one day to receive those who uh, have placed their faith and trust in Him as their Lord and Savior. Uh, Jesus is not dead today. Uh, He did not stay dead 2,000 years ago. He rose uh, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And because of that, He is going to return one day. And Paul is encouraging them in that context, saying, hey, you can encourage each other because we know that Jesus is going to return. We don't know the time. We don't know the date. We don't know the details of when it will happen, but we know for certainty that he's coming. He is coming back one day. Say, Pastor, it's been 2,000 years. Preachers have been saying that for 2,000 years, and it still hasn't happened yet. What are your thoughts on that? It just means that we're 2,000 years closer than it was when this book was written. It's still happening. Why? Because we have God's Word on it. God said it was going to happen, so we believe it with all our hearts. He is coming again. But how does that apply, and why is this written to us? Number one, this is written to us to comfort us. To comfort us. We see in verse number 11 here in chapter 5, it says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. It's the same word used one chapter prior at the end of the chapter in verse number 18 where it says, wherefore comfort one another with these words. We're to comfort based on the fact that Jesus died, buried, rose again, is coming again. We can comfort each other knowing that he is returning. And aren't you glad that we don't have to live here in this world forever? 
Aren't you glad that this is not the final stop? Uh, For those who are believers, we are checking out of here one of these days. And I'm looking forward to that. Uh, We're going to a place that we've never been, but we're going to a place where He is. And that is the part where we're comforted. John chapter 14, verse number 1 through 3, Jesus told the disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. There's the promise. And receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Uh, What is our comfort this morning? The fact that we're going to a place where there are no more nursing homes. There are no more funeral homes. Uh, There are no more hospitals. Uh, There are no more nurses stations. Uh, There are no more sickness or disease or heartache or death. And that is encouraging this morning. It's comforting. And that's what Paul is saying. There is comfort in the fact that Jesus is returning. But the problem is there is a group that can't look forward to that. That group that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Savior. That group that doesn't have that assurance in their heart. They don't know Him. And maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you don't have that confidence knowing that your sins have been forgiven. You don't know that Jesus is your Savior. You don't know that heaven is your eternal home. And my question to you today would be if Jesus died, was buried, and rose again the third day and will take you today just like you are. Would you take him just like he is today? If Jesus did all of that for you because of his immense love for you, a love that we cannot comprehend, would we accept him and place our faith in him as he is today? Uh, Think about this thought. Jesus loves you so much that he gave up everything for you to be able to have everything in him. Jesus loved you so much that he gave up everything for you To be able to have everything in him. Everything. And Jesus stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, and was draped in humanity, in flesh, for 33 and a half years. And died a death that he did not deserve, so that you could have salvation. He did that for you. He did that because of his love for you. Someone said, Jesus did not come to make God's love possible. He came to make God's love visible. Visible. We would have no way of knowing how much he loves us unless he sent his son to die for us. Jesus came and died and there is comfort. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. The fact that he loves us and is coming for us. But not only the comfort, we see that he gives us this to challenge us. Not only to comfort us, but to challenge us. What is the challenge in verse number 11? Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. We are to remind each other constantly that he loves us and is coming for us. That he loves us and is coming for us. We all need to be reminded because let's face it, you and I are going to have a bad day every once in a while. 
We're going to have a day where we are not uh, excited. There will be people who disappoint us and uh, let us down. Those who don't like us, uh, see, those who make us mad, we have to challenge and remind one another, hey, the pastor is going to let you down. Your friends are going to talk bad about you behind your back. Uh, Your neighbors might not like you all the time. Uh, These people that say, hey, I know them, uh, they might say ill about us, but there is still a God in heaven who made us a promise that he would not leave us and he would not forsake us. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He made us a promise and we are to challenge, edify, encourage one another because there are times and days when we need it and we need that reminder. But here's the question. Are you encouraging and reminding someone else. Uh, The Greek word for edify is oikodomeo, which means to build up, to build up. There will be times when you know that someone is struggling, know that someone is hurting, know that someone is having a bad day. You know that someone is struggling when they're fighting for survival, when the enemy is fighting. And it's our job as a body to rally around and remind those who are hurting that God still loves us and is still fighting for us. That God still has not. They might feel forsaken, but that does not mean that God has forsaken them. They might feel alone, but that does not mean that God has abandoned them. And we see in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We have that friend, but are you that kind of friend? Are you the kind of friend that through thick and thin you can be counted on? When someone comes in and says, hey man, this week has been really rough. Uh, This has been a difficult week. Or maybe you know someone who's in church and, man, uh, they posted on Facebook and talked about their challenges and struggles and problems and uh, things that they've gone through. And maybe you be the person. And maybe God puts it on your heart to be the person to walk up and say, hey, man, I just want you to know that I prayed for you the last couple days. How is that need going? How is your life going? How is that struggle? How is that unfold? What can I pray specifically? How are you doing that? Are you that encouragement? When was the last time that you personally built someone up? C.S. Lewis said, Friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things that gives value to survival. It's not necessary, but it gives value. Why am I here? I'm here to exalt the Savior. I'm here to engage the sinner. I'm here to connect with that person who needs Christ. And then I'm here to edify the same. Hey, I'm I'm comfort, comfort, uh, challenge, uh, edify one another. And then thirdly, we're here to consider. Look at verse number 12. Uh, We edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. The cool thing about this church is, is they already had a good testimony. They already had a solid walk with the Lord. They were the church in town that everybody was talking about. They were the church in town where they were 
purposefully engaging other people with the gospel. They were not ashamed or afraid to talk to people about their faith. In chapter number 1 and verse number 8, Paul speaks to this and he says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia, the region, the Achaia, the broader spectrum of where they lived, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. You know what they're saying? As we're traveling, Paul on his missionary journeys, as we're traveling and Paul's assistants going with him, everywhere we went, people were talking to us about your faith. People were talking to us, sharing the gospel with us, and they were saying that we're from Thessalonica. We're from your church. They were sharing the gospel so much so that Paul said, we were going to challenge and encourage you guys to share the gospel, but we don't have to. We don't have to because you guys are already killing it. You're already doing a great job. You're already sharing your faith with others. We don't have to say anything about Jesus in this area because you guys are already doing the work. Now, hey, I know that we live in Augusta County, the good old boy county. I know that we live in a very religious area. But hey, let's be honest. We don't live in a very Christian area. Bible term area. We live in a very religious area. Oh yeah, I go to church. I go to church pastor on Christmas and Easter. Oh yeah, I know Jesus. But does Jesus know them? Hey, I know about Jesus, but do they have a relationship with Jesus? See, there's a major difference in knowing some details about Christ, knowing some details about the church, knowing some things about the Bible. There's a big difference in that and Jesus knowing you. And see, knowing about Jesus will not get you into into heaven. Knowing Jesus is what gets you into heaven. Knowing Jesus as your personal Savior. I was 17 years old. March the 1st, 2000, two weeks before that, we had a preacher come to our church and preach revival. And he made this statement from the pulpit. He said there will be millions of people who wake up in hell one day who sat on good pews in good churches and heard the gospel week after week after week and never did anything to apply it to their own lives. And that spoke to me because I was in that group. I was the pastor's son. I had heard the gospel over and over and over, and I had never applied it to my life. It was a great story. I knew the verses. I had memorized scripture. I knew all about Jesus. I had read the Bible through from cover to cover by that point in my life, but I did not know Jesus as my personal Savior. And sadly, there will be people in hell and are people in hell, and that is their testimony. Hey, don't let that be your testimony. Pastor, what would people say? Who cares? Your eternal soul is not worth your pride. Hey, your pride can take a hike when it comes to your eternal destination. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what position you hold. It doesn't matter what title you have. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, you will not go to heaven. Jesus will not say, oh, you are president of a corporation. Well, we'll we'll overlook that. 
Oh, oh, you made a bunch of money. Oh, you know, we'll just we'll give you a pass. He doesn't work that way. He is a faithful judge. He is a just judge. And to be a just judge, he must be a fair judge to everyone. And he looks for the blood of Jesus that's been applied. And all of us have to ask ourselves the question, has the blood been applied to my life? Has the blood been applied? Imagine a place, going to a place where somebody said, hey, you don't have to worry about sharing the gospel in that area because that church is already doing it. And we don't live in that area, but we need to get busy with our area. We need to share the gospel. Our area needs Jesus Christ, the admonition. We need to be encouraging one another, just like this church was doing. But then number two, we see the appreciation. Paul continues the encouragement and doesn't just leave it to the workers. He includes the leadership. See, this church is not a dictatorship. It's not. But this church is also not a democracy. This church is a theocracy. You know what that means? It means we have one leader and it's not the guy whose name is on the sign. A theocracy means that God is leading this thing. And it might as well be him because it belongs to him. Now this is his work. This is not our church. Uh, We are here by partnership but not ownership. Uh, This is his church. And he raises up leaders within his body to help oversee his work. What is our responsibility? Verse number 12. It says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Verse 13. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. What should we do? What should our relationship be like with these leadership, with the leadership of the local church? Number one, we should cheer them on. We should cheer them on. There is a stigma in the local church today that the leadership is somehow on a different level and that the rules don't apply to them and that they have different standards and they're untouchable. Can I say that that's a faulty understanding of biblical leadership? A faulty understanding of biblical leadership, uh, that's simply not the case. When it says in verse number 12, among you, which labor among you, you know what that means? It means by you or alongside you. Uh, I might be the pastor of the church, but I'm still a sheep. I might be the pastor at Crossroads, and I might have to make decisions that affect the entire body, but I am still a sheep at the end of the day, and I have to make sure that my heart is being led in the right direction. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27 says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Everybody on the same page. No big eyes, no little U's. We're all the same. We're all the same. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. The problem comes... When the leadership desires that everyone be like them instead of like Jesus. That's the problem. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Verse 29. For whom He did foreknow, He did also did predestinate, now here's the phrase, to be conformed to the image of His Son. 
That does not say that they should be conformed to the image of the pastor. That does not say that they should be conformed to the image of the deacon. That does not say that they should be conformed to the image of everybody else. There is one image that we are supposed to emulate and look like, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to look, act, dress, act, walk, talk like Jesus. We're supposed to be like Him. And I'm thankful for that. You know why? Because that takes me out of the equation. I don't have to worry about my ego. I don't have to worry about my pride. I step back and say, hey, I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be like Jesus. And if we will show off Jesus Christ, we'll have to worry about anything else. Hey, I don't have to say, man, I wonder what that person will think about me because I don't look like them. I don't talk like them. I don't dress like them. I don't act like them. Hey, none of that matters. Are you like Jesus? Are you like Jesus? Because at the end of our life, you're not going to stand before me and give an account. And you should be very thankful. Because, man, my life is like this from time to time. And some days everybody's my friend. Some days everybody's my enemy. And so everybody, everybody, we're thankful that we have a fair and consistent judge who is always the same. He said, I am the Lord. I change not. You know what I don't see? I, see, I don't see anywhere in Scripture that tells you to be conformed to my image. But I see a lot of Scripture that tells you to be conformed to His image. Him. Not me. But all about Him. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5 says, Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. We're supposed to have His mind, not my mind. We're supposed to have His mind, not your mind. His mind. First and foremost. It's the difference between unity and uniformity. Unity and uniformity. If you've ever been to Chick-fil-A, all right, if you've ever been to Chick-fil-A, you see one of these workers and they, you walk up to the counter, hope this fits, all right, uh, you walk up to the counter and they all look the same. This is going to be embarrassing. All right, they all look the same. Welcome to Chick-fil-A. May I take your order? Dine-in or carry-out. You know, I'm, I'm bucking for a job, Adam. Shirt fits, all right? Uh, so, my pleasure. I already know what to say. I already looked the part. But here's the question, all right? And I think we all know the answer. Do I work at Chick-fil-A? No, I don't work at Chick-fil-A. Uh, but do I look like I work at Chick-fil-A with the shirt on? Maybe. It fits so well, you know. But think about it. There's a difference in unity and uniformity. You go to work at Chick-fil-A, what do you do? You get the shirt, you get the uniform, you get the speech, you get the training. Why? So that everybody is like everyone else. Yes? Hey, if you don't know how to say my pleasure, get working on it. Because that is going to be your MO the rest of your tenure at Chick-fil-A. My pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure. Don't you dare say you're welcome. It's my pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure. Everything. Why? Because Chick-fil-A has found out we want everybody to be the same. Different faces, different looks, different smiles, 
Everything is different, but they're all the same. Same outfit, same look. And if I take this and I work my way up and I get up to management, I get one of these fun shirts, and uh, this is my shirt. It doesn't have Chick-fil-A on it. But I, all the management smells the same. They look like chicken. All right? They smell like chicken. This almost fits. This is a medium, and it fits over an extra large body. Uh, but that makes me feel really good. This is a medium shirt, and it fits perfectly. All right? Uh, so I work my way up. All the managers look the same. So uh, all the employees here, uh, my pleasure. All the management looks the same, my pleasure. You know, your fries are cold, here's some more. Uh, you don't like your sandwich, here's another one. I said, we're all the same. But here's the thing. This is not supposed to be the church. We're not striving for uniformity. You know why we're not? Because then someone has to set the standard of who we're going to be like. You know what that typically comes down to? Everybody's going to look like blank. Everybody's going to look like the pastor, or everybody's going to act like the pastor's college, or everybody's going to be like the pastor's circle of friends. Now, I'm going somewhere here. I'm not a camp person. If if you know what that term means, I I despise camps. We're not in a camp. We're in a body. We're not in a camp. We're in a body. All right, uh, so uh, we all look like the same college. We all listen to the same music. We all do the same thing because that's uniformity, but that is unbiblical. You know what the Bible says we should strive for? Unity. Unity. Let brotherly love continue. Unity. We're not supposed to be uniform. We're not supposed to be cookie cutter. We're not supposed to all be the same. We're supposed to be like Jesus. And that means that I can be me, but I'm striving to be like him. I'm not striving to be like you. You're not striving to be like me. We're not striving to be the same thing, to have the same lingo, to all do the same things, to have the same functionality. We're striving to be like Jesus. And you know what that does? It takes us out of the equation. It takes us out of it. I don't want to be like you. You shouldn't want to be like me. We should all want to be like Jesus. And that brings and breeds unity. Unity. I'm not trying to be like the deacons. The deacons aren't trying to be like me. I'm not trying to be like a Sunday school teacher. They're not trying to be like me. We should all strive to be like Jesus. Why? Because that is his purpose, predetermined purpose in Romans chapter 8 verse 29 that we would be conformed to the image of his son, not us. I'm not trying to look like a Baptist. I'm not trying to be a die-to-the-wool independent fundamental Baptist. I'm trying at the end of my life, I want to say, did I look like Jesus? Did my life show off his design, his character? Did I have his mind? Was I the hands and feet of Jesus? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. There's no beauty found when I want everybody to be like me. Uniformity is like playing 
the same notes in different octaves on the piano. There's no beauty there. There's no harmony there. Everybody is identical, the same. The beauty comes, here it is, when we can all be distinct and different, yet all be united in Christ. That's where the beauty comes. That's when people come in and say, this church is weird, but in a good way, and I like it. It's refreshing. It, we don't have people trying, looking and saying, you don't fit here. You don't look like you belong here. Where'd you come? You don't, you're not one of us. Hey, we're trying to be like Jesus. And we don't have to see eye to eye if we can agree heart to heart. We don't have to see eye to eye if we agree heart to heart. We should cheer each other on. Encouraging those who have to give an account in our place. That's what Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 is all about. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. Is they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. Are you trying this morning to be uniformed? Are you trying to be unified? Are you trying to be just like everybody else? Because let's just be honest this morning. We all know how we grew up. We all knew our background, where we came from. There are a lot of churches who run people off if you're not just like me. If you don't look like me, act like me, dress like me, fill in the blank, like me, you don't belong. And that's unbiblical. Our striving point is to be like Jesus. That is our focus. We should cheer them on. And we should cheer on the leadership that says, hey, let's do that. Let's do that. But then not only that, number two, we should cooperate with them. Look at verse 13. It says, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and to be at peace among yourselves. There should be a consensus that we're working together and we're striving together and that peace is going to be found in the middle of us. What is it that people detest about church? I detest going there because the moment I walk in the door, there's tension. I can feel the power struggle. I can sense that people aren't on the same team. They're not on the same page. There's stress among the body. Uh, we're not united in Christ. There's disunity. There's disloyalty. And it's felt. But there's something refreshing about coming into a place where there's no hidden agenda. Where we're just coming to worship the Lord together. Where we're trying to be like Christ. And that's, that's what draws people and says, man, I... I don't know what it is about this place, but it's different, and I like it. That's the way, uh-huh, uh-huh, I like it. You know, it just fit. I'm sorry. It just fit right there. But think about the rest of the world. It's going to be hard to get back on that. <laughs> think about what the majority of the world. And see, I, I know that I live in a bubble. I work for the church. I work at the church. My life is not like your life. I get that. But here's reality. Most people work in an environment that's full of stress, it's full of backbiting, full of tension, and they come in here looking for a break. They come into this place looking for peace. They should not feel the exact same thing that they do Monday through Friday. It should be different. The fact that I can come in and be loved 
And I understand that God, who He is in the, in the significance of my life, and that He accepts me not because of what I do, but because of who I am in Christ. He loves me and accepts me. That should be a feeling. There should be a feeling of cooperation, knowing that everyone is united in that fact together. And we should cooperate with that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting or the maturity of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. For the upbringing. The building up. And he has gifted the church with leadership. And that leadership should represent a leader that desires unity. And that's not this leader. It's that leader. He desires unity. And that's what we should all, we should all be on the same page right there. Uh, see, we're nothing more than ambassadors. Uh, we're not uh, this uh, authority, power-driven uh, mentality. We're ambassadors. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in bonds. An ambassador has no personal authority. They carry the weight of the one whom they represent. And today, you and I as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, we have no personal authority. And we have no uh, ability, no power within ourselves. We carry the weight and responsibility of the one who has sent us as an ambassador for Christ. We bear his name. We bear his name. We represent. That's why you don't see a Chick-fil-A employee wearing their Chick-fil-A t-shirt in Burger King. My pleasure. You're not going to see that. Why? Because they bear the likeness of someone else. And for us as ambassadors in Christ, we need to bear the likeness of not me, but of him. Of him. We are to represent him. So am I cooperating in the role that's been assigned to me? Am I encouraging brothers and sisters in Christ? The admonition, the appreciation. Lastly this morning, we see the accountability. In verse 14 and 15, Paul finishes talking about body life and what that represents. Body life refers to the ministry of each Christian to other believers. It is a biblical concept to be accountable to each other. That is a biblical concept. We are accountable one to another. But why? Two reasons. Number one, the protection. Look at verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them. That are unruly, comfort the feeble minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. He talks about the emotional, spiritual, physical, and practical help that is needed in the body of Christ. He uses the phrase in verse number 14, brethren. Paul, this was his favorite phrase for talking about the local church. He used it 60 times in his writings, but 27 times in the two books to the Thessalonians. 27, almost half of the times he uses that phrase, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. Almost half of them in these two books. But in writing this way, he was saying, we're a family. I won't sing the song. But we are. Okay? Have you ever heard the phrase, it takes a village? It implies that it takes teamwork to get the job done. It requires all of us working together, striving together. See, body life cannot just be the work of the pastor. Cannot just be the work of the deacons or the ministry team. 
We all have to work together. Paul tells the body to warn, to comfort, to support, and be patient. Why? Because he knew what we all know, that one person can't do it alone. It's not just the work of every individual, every one of us, not just the work of one, but the work of all of us together. See, he had to rely on other people to step up and chase down issues. And Paul would come in just for a small amount of time and then he would leave. He had to rely on others. In a larger church like what we have, the pastor cannot be the only one visiting people. The pastor cannot be the only one handing out tracts or to chase out small fires. Or The body has to become self-sustaining. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2 and 3. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither be of being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. It is my job to feed and lead, but I cannot bottle feed 400 people. I can't. Uh, There has to be a point where every believer gets to the stage where they can feed themselves. Let me ask you a question. All of us know what baby food looks like, smells like, for those who are fortunate enough, tastes like. This is apple, natural. I was trying to be very nice to someone. Uh, But what would you think tomorrow morning if I showed up at Brother John's house? So, Brother John, came by this morning, just want to give you breakfast. Thank you, ma'am. I even brought the appropriate spoon. Or my wife did, rather. I said, all right, Brother John, it's time for breakfast. Ready? And he said, man, I'm so hungry. Oh, man, I've been looking forward to this for so long. All right, and uh, this is a clean spoon. All right. But, man, it's time, Brother John. All right, ready? Are you ready for this? All right, wasn't that so good? Don't you want some more? Mm. All right, here it comes the airplane. It's, it's mission control. Beep, beep, beep. Now, how do you understand? That's ridiculous. Pastor, what? You would not do that. I mean, why would you do that? Uh, when I was getting this this morning at Food Line, I was telling Kinsley about what I was going to do with it. She said, why are you doing that? <laughs> Brother John can feed himself. <laughs> exactly. What would you say if I said, hey, hey, tomorrow morning, breakfast time, I'm bringing breakfast. All right? I'll feed you. I'll bring it right to you. I, I, man, I'm going to take the spoon and I'm going to, Brother Munson, hey, man, Brother Munson is, is coming <laughs> all the way over here. Yeah, no, we won't get Chick-fil-A next time, all right? But here's the point. We look at this and say, Pastor, that's ridiculous. They're grown-ups. They don't need that. But let's spiritualize that. Hey, are you grown-up? Do you require someone to bottle feed you? Do you require someone, some spiritual leader, to open the Word of God for you every Sunday morning just to feed you? Shouldn't you be more grown up than that? Or if you've been saved three months or 30 years, there should be some gumption in you to pick up your own spoon. Say, hey, pastor, 
I'm going to be a mature believer. I don't need you to bottle feed me. I don't need you to get out the Gerber and feed me, Pastor. Hey, I'm going to open my Bible on Monday morning. And I'm going to feed myself. At Tuesday morning, I'm going to do the exact same thing. Wednesday morning, I'm going to do it again. Why? Because you will not survive spiritually on two meals a week. You won't. It's not going to happen. And for us to expect to show up on Sunday morning and say, All right, Pastor, open the Bible, everybody. Here it comes. It's coming. You won't make it. You won't make it. And we should not expect you to make it either. There comes a point where you got to say, hey, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to get my fork and I'm going to put my own bib on. I'm going to put my napkin on my lap. I'm going to get my own fork. I'm not going to get out the little play spoons or the little kid spoons. I'm getting out the metal silverware and I'm getting down to business and I'm going to feed myself because I know that I can. Hey, church, I can't do that for you. I can't be that for you. You come on Sunday morning, you're going to hear the Word of God taught. You come on Wednesday night, growth groups, you're going to hear the Word of God taught. But I cannot Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning, Saturday morning, come and, all right, here it comes. I can't do it. You've got to take the Word of God and you've got to feed yourself. Feed the flock of God. It's my responsibility when we come in the flock together that the Word of God is taught. That the word of God is shared. You know, think about the fact, are you in helping protect the flock? Are you on the inside saying, man, that's not good enough, Pastor. Hey, you're going to have to do better, Pastor. You know, Monday morning, you're going to have to bring me something better. Hey, it's not my word, church. It's God's word. It's God's. It's not mine. It's God's. But we look at the protection of the flock. He says, warn, comfort, uh, support, be patient. All of those things are required. Somebody can have that later. Uh, Required, Brother John. Uh, But required, we're doing all that. But then not only that, but we're also supposed to be focused on the provision. Look at verse 15. Lastly this morning. See that none render evil for evil unto every man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. See, we're not called to retaliate. We're called to love. John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. Jesus loved Judas just as much as he loved John. Jesus loved Peter just as much as he loved Pilate. See all the the contrast. There will be times when people do not appreciate what you've done for them. You encourage somebody, man, I'm going to go by, I'm going to write that person a note, I'm going to take that person a meal, I'm going to do all this stuff for them just to show them how much I care about them and encourage, Woo! I'm going to edify the saints. You don't even get a thank you. Well, I'm never doing that again. You know, I, I tried to do what was biblical and then they didn't even say thank you. Grow up. Grow up. Grow up. It's time for us to be mature. It's time for us to, hey, don't render evil for evil, but ever follow that which is good. Hey, it doesn't matter if they say thank you or not because I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for him. I'm doing it for him because my role in the body of Christ is to edify. And as long as I lift up Jesus in the process, that's good enough. I don't need a thank you note. I don't need a personal gift. I don't need a meal. Hey, As long as I'm doing it for him, 
As long as he is pleased, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to the men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. When I serve others for what I can get for, from others, I'm bound to be disappointed every single time. But when I serve others because through that service I'm serving Christ, I'm never disappointed. Because he is the rewarder of those who are faithful. That's what I'm shooting for. Not a thank you or a pat on the back here. I want to please him. I want to be like him. I want to serve him. And are you serving others with the right motives? Are you serving to satisfy you? Or are you serving to please him? Are you serving? Are you edifying? Are you even sure that you're in the family today? Are you personally today edifying the saints? Every head's bowed. Every eye's closed. Why do you do what you do? Do you do it for you? Do you do it for him? Are you serving him because, man, I want somebody to say thank you to me? Or are you serving him because, are you serving others because through that service you are serving him? Are you serving for the right reasons? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus is your Savior. Maybe you're serving today and you don't know that your sins are forgiven. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I don't know. Maybe you have that testimony like I did that, man, I'm in church. I'm doing all this stuff, but I don't really know the one that I'm serving. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know him as my personal Savior. Maybe that's your testimony. And maybe you would, this morning, or watching online, or in the room, you would be honest and say, Pastor, I, I just don't know. I don't have that assurity like you're talking about. I don't have that confidence that I know that I'm saved. I don't have that settled in my own heart and life. Maybe that's you. Maybe you can't say, like we sang about earlier, all I have is Christ. He is my life. Maybe you can't say that. Could I pray for you today? Could I pray for you not to embarrass you or call you out or point you out since somebody talked to you but simply just to say hey I acknowledge that that I'm going to be praying that God will speak to your heart and you'll get that settled hey Jesus died for all of us and if you're here today you're listening to this you know what your need is but are you doing anything to acknowledge your need today with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. Our personal workers are already in place. They're here and they're already in place waiting to speak to you. If you need someone to pray with you, encourage you, take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. But is that your need today? Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Please pray for me. Would you be honest with me? The Lord already knows your heart, but simply say, hey, Pastor, I know that's my need. I don't know Jesus is my Savior. Please pray for me. Would you, no one looking around, slip up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I don't know that my sin's forgiven, but I would at least acknowledge. Thank you for your honesty. You can put your hand down. Maybe you haven't raised your hand yet, but you say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Please pray for me. Please pray for me. Is that you? I don't want to miss you, but I do want to pray for you. Pastor, please pray for me. I'm not sure. Salvation is so simple. He made a way to where all you have to do is admit that you are a sinner. The Bible says we've all sinned. And come short of the glory of God. We all have a problem that we cannot fix on our own. And you have to admit that to Him. Knowing that you have a need that only He can provide. Then you have to believe that He can meet the need. 
believing that he died on the cross, was buried and rose for you to offer you salvation that all of us need. And then you simply have to ask him to apply it to your heart and life. That's what salvation is. Lord, I, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died to save me from my sin. And I'm simply asking you to do what only you can do. Maybe that's you. And maybe that's your need. You don't have to come forward if you want to. We have personal workers all around that would love to pray with you. But maybe you would simply say, Pastor, hey, I'm going to pray right in my seat. I'm going to pray right here. I'm going to get it settled right now. And I would encourage you to do that. Don't walk out of here this morning wondering where you're going to spend eternity. You can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you're on your way to heaven. And that is exactly why he's allowed you to be here today. So that you can get that settled. Father, please bless our time of invitation. Do a work in our hearts. Lord, there are people all around the room who are praying for those who don't know their sins have been forgiven. Lord, I ask that you please help those who maybe didn't raise their hand, or maybe they did, Lord, to get that settled. Lord, I ask that you please help us to edify the saint. Help us to encourage one another. Lord, help us to fulfill your purpose for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, please. Pastor Tim and the team are going to lead us in that song, All I Have is Christ. Our personal workers are all around. If you need to talk to someone, I'll be standing right down front. If you need to pray with someone, if you need to take a next step, whatever that is, do what God wants you to do this morning.